So with that, as a very brief update, uh, we want to look into the Word this morning. And as a missionary, I feel like it is pretty much an obligation that when you speak at a church, you have to do a missions message, right? So I don't want to disappoint you. And so we are going to look at God's Word this morning, looking at missions. <clears throat> but usually when one does a missions message, the passage that you go to is the obvious ones, like Matthew 28. Uh, you know, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's the Great Commission, an obvious missions message. Another one might be Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, and in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What we want to look at this morning is a passage of Scripture that we don't usually look at as one in which God is sending his people out. It's John 20, verses 19 to 22. Come on. I will leave this slide up for the duration of the message, but if you have a translation that you particularly like, or maybe English is not your native language and you have a different language that you want to look it up in, please feel free to do that. Uh, We're going to be looking at John 20, 19 to 22. Here's what it says. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning as we look into your word, we ask that you would speak to our hearts and to our souls through your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to be like you. We want to be transformed by your power as the hymn that we just sang said, There is power in the blood. And Lord, you have shed your blood for us and so we want you to change us so that we are the reflection of your glory to this world that we need to be use us in our immediate surroundings with our family among our friends at our workplace and lord if it is your will use us among a people of another culture or another language so that you would be honored and glorified in jesus name we pray Amen. So we need to start this morning by setting the scene. It says, on the evening of that day. What day was that? It is the day after Jesus was killed and was buried. And uh, so just shortly after Jesus' uh, death uh, and resurrection, as it turns out, the disciples who didn't know about the resurrection yet were gathered together in the upper room. They had the door locked. Because they were afraid. And I want you to put yourself in the position that the disciples were in at this point. The 12 of them had been with Jesus for three years. Day and night, 24 hours a day, watching everything he did, asking questions. They thought, this is the Messiah. And then he was killed. 
And now they're together, this band of brothers, in the upper room. They are confused because the one that they were sure was the Messiah that, that did all these incredible miracles has just been killed. Well, that pretty much proves he's not the Messiah, right? Secondly, they were scared. In fact, the, the, the passage tells us that. They, they hid there for fear of the Jews. Why were they scared? Well, because they were afraid that what the Romans did to Jesus, the Romans would do to them. Crucifixion was a particularly intentionally cruel and public death with a person lifted high up for everybody to see, in essence to say, don't do what he did, because if you do, this will happen. So it's a very understandable fear that the disciples have. And I would imagine there was also a certain amount of shame. Because the man that they had devoted their life to, that they had said to, and all of them had said, we will never leave you. When the rubber hit the road, they all ran. And Peter had denied him in spades three times. So this was an intense, emotionally charged scene. Everyone was on high alert. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears. He's in his resurrected body, so time and space are not an issue for him. Locked doors really do not hinder him. And he shows up and stands among them. Now let me ask you, if you were the disciples, what would you have expected to hear from Jesus? If it were me, I would probably expect some fairly stern words. Something like, so why did you all run and desert me? Why did you deny me? When I told you, do not be afraid, why are you hiding here like cowards in a locked room? That's not what Jesus does. The first thing Jesus says to them is this, peace be with you. Now, we hear the words, peace be with you, and to us, it, it's, it's, it sounds like a greeting, right? Like a, hey, how you doing? But when Jesus says, peace be with you, it is not a flippant wish, like, hey, all the best, good luck. This is the creator of the universe who has faced and defeated all the forces which destroy the peace of man. He has faced them and he has overcome them. So when Jesus appears to the disciples and says, peace be with you, he is making a declaration. He is making a statement. Your slavery to sin is broken. Death is defeated. I am here. I forgive you. I will never leave you. Peace be with you. What a relief. They were scared. They were confused. The world wasn't making sense. But now Jesus is here. And with Jesus in their midst and in his presence, there's peace. They were ashamed. After three years at his side, they all turned and ran from him, literally ran from him. 
when it mattered most. But Jesus offers them peace. And that message of peace to the disciples, may I say, is just as relevant today. The world is no less confusing. It is still in turmoil. It has lost its common sense. And Jesus steps into all the confusion that swirls around us in this world, all the chaos, and says, peace. In me there is peace. Peace in the midst of the storm. And when we struggle with failure and shame, Jesus comes to us and says, I have overcome death and sin. I am the Prince of Peace. And I am offering you that life-giving, hope-filled peace. Peace be with you. Hallelujah. Praise God. And that really is the gospel. The good news. And that is where, especially in the North American church, we typically want to end the message. Right? This is we, because we like this. Jesus brings peace. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's have lunch. That's kind of the way we like to approach it because, well, th- that's great news. And it is good news. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on. Next, he shows them the wounds on his hands and side. And I, I, I picture Jesus. How would you show wounds in your hands and the palms of your hands? You go like this. And he shows them the wounds in his hands and his side, which to me is interesting. Because I would assume that the wounds would have been healed. When I picture a resurrected body, I picture something with no flaws, no blemishes, where all the hurts and pains are gone. But that is not the case. It is exactly those wounds, those scars that he uses to prove to the disciples who he is. That is how we know who Jesus is. He has wounds. The body of Christ has wounds, or it's not the body of Christ. Jesus does not shy away from the struggle, the pain, and the wounds that sin causes. He confronts them. He takes on sin and death, and he defeats them on the cross, but not without sustaining wounds himself. And God knew that because even in the book of Genesis, uh, we read that God said to Satan, one is coming after you who will crush your head, but you will bruise his heel. And so Jesus is standing before the disciples and before us and is showing them, I am that one. I have crushed Satan. But I've been in the battle. And there are wounds and scars. We have a Savior that has been in our battles, has faced the giants we face, and has the battle scars to prove it. Jesus is proving who he is. He is putting all doubt aside. He is the one who was on the cross, but he is victorious and he is alive. The response by the disciples and by us is incredible joy. Oh my goodness! This one who I thought was gone, who I thought, oh, all the confusion, it all makes sense now. 
He is the Messiah. And his death was not an accident. It was what God used to overcome death. He is victorious over death. Death can't hold him, which means that death can't hold me because I am his. Hallelujah! That is incredible news. So here is Jesus showing them his hands. And then he does something odd. He repeats himself. Peace be with you. Now, if I were the disciples, I would be wondering, why is he repeating himself? He just told us, peace be with you. And then he just showed us stuff. And without saying anything else, he says, peace be with you. And then Jesus, with his nail-pierced hands stretched out, says to them, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Whoa, what does that mean? I can just imagine the disciples kind of looking at each other. You know, Peter and Andrew standing at the back. Yo, Pete, what do you think that means? Does it mean what I think it means? Yeah, Andy, I think he's asking us to go to battle. And I think he's letting us know that there might be wounds. Jesus gave it all, his glory, his status, his life, everything. And he is asking us to be willing to do the same. In the North American church, we almost tend to preach the opposite. We adjust it to say something like, Jesus suffered so that you don't have to. That is not what Jesus models, nor what the Bible teaches, nor what Jesus calls us to. Philippians 1.29 says, For it has been granted to you, which makes it sound like it's something really good, right? It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. The physical body of Jesus has wounds and scars. The church, the spiritual body of Jesus, has wounds and scars. We, individual members of the body, have wounds and scars. But those wounds, friends, do not mean that we are not part of the body of Christ. In fact, they mean quite the opposite. They are evidence that we are the body of Christ, that we have been in the battle. And this is, to me, where the witnessing side of this passage gets very real and very practical because it relates directly to our ministry and to our sharing of the gospel both at home and abroad. We think, I think, I think we think, a little confusing there, but I think that we typically view Christianity in this way. We need to present ourselves as shiny, perfect people. No blemishes, no scars, great skin. So that we can go to others and say, hey, you should believe in Jesus so you can have a perfect life like me. 
But there's a problem with that because I would venture to guess that if I ask you, your life isn't perfect and you are in battles and there are challenges and there are scars and wounds. And so we feel like, well, now I have to hide those and protect them and not let people see those. But if Jesus is not embarrassed of his wounds, why should we be? Galatians 6.17 says, From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. You have scars. I have scars. Our Savior has scars. We don't need to hide them. Jesus did. One of the most powerful things that we have done in our ministry overseas was to let people into our lives to let them see our struggles. It made us real. It made us relatable. It allowed us to connect deeply with the hurts of a fallen world. I don't know if you've had this experience, but there is very little that unites people as deeply as shared suffering. If you've been through a great pain, a great struggle, a great difficulty, and you've had somebody go through that with you, and they shared it with you, and you shared it with them, that creates a bond and a unity and a closeness that is very hard to replicate. Think of soldiers. You, know, I've, I've, you watch a World War I movie and you have these guys from all over North America, New York and Kansas and Manitoba or wherever, and they're all together in one foxhole as the, the bombs are exploding around them. And they're all terrified and they're all struggling and suffering together. When the war is over, that bond, that friendship lasts because they've suffered together. Shared suffering also unites us with Christ. It creates a bond with Jesus Christ. In fact, Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ. And we think, yes. And Paul goes on, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And to participate in his suffering. Whoa. But that's the thing. If you really want to know Christ, this is a way to get to know. He says to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Wounds do not make you a failure. They prove you're in the fight. So when we talk with people... We can say to them, hey, you struggle with life? I do too. Isn't that amazing? But you know what? I found strength. I found hope. I found peace even in the midst of the storm. And you know what? I'd like to share that with you. That is relatable and that is powerful. But Jesus, you will notice, is not sugarcoating anything, which is why, by the way, I think he repeated himself. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. 
He wants to remind us that his peace abides in us because he's going to ask us to do what his father asked of him, to go into battle with with the enemy in a hurting world. But here is the great comfort. He does not put it all on our shoulders to battle on our own. It is not as if Jesus said, look, I hung there on the cross, I suffered, I died, I did all of this for you, I'm the creator, the king of the universe, I didn't need to, but I did it for you, you better be grateful, now off you go. No. He gives them, the disciples, he gives us the Holy Spirit. The comforter, the spirit of power and of wisdom and strength who gives us spiritual gifts who intercedes for us, who helps us in our weakness. You and I may at times be wounded and scarred, but we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Romans 8, 11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The world is a scary, confusing place. And we are not always the people that we ought to be. But Jesus meets us even when we are confused and scared and maybe possibly ashamed. And he offers us peace. He offers us his presence and life and power of the Holy Spirit. And then he asks us to step into battle with him and share his love with a hurting world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we read the words... As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And we really contemplate those words. Lord, our minds reel a little bit. What do you mean? Lord, you've been wounded and scarred. Heavenly Father, some of us here, dare I say many of us here, are wounded soldiers. Battle-weary and struggling. Lord, it is a comfort to know that you know what it is like to be in the battle. That we have a great high priest who has walked in our shoes. It is a comfort to know that even now you battle alongside us and are strengthening strengthening us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, cause us to learn from you. Help us not to be ashamed of our wounds. Help us to use them to relate to this hurting world and to lean on your strength to come alongside people and offer them peace with you. A peace that you brought, bought at the price of your wounds. Lord Jesus, we stand before you amazed at the depth of your love and mercy and grace. And so it is with grateful hearts and great joy that we pray in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.